0: The book of Job opens with a description of the main character, a man named Job. We saw last week, um, there are certain things about him that we are not told. We are not told his genealogy, his tribe, his clan. We're told he's from the land of Uz, but we're not told where that was. And I think the point that the author wants to get across, and it should be clear to us, is that Job was not a Jew. He was not a Hebrew, not an Israelite. He was not of the covenant line. He was not of the covenant people of God. Yet with that in mind, we are told of his character, that he is blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. We're told about his family, that he had seven sons and three daughters. And we're told of his vast possessions, 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 donkeys, and a large number of servants. We are told of his concern for his family. Because although he was a man of integrity and a man of great wealth, he was careful. Not to grow overconfident. And so after his children would have a feast together, uh, he would send for them and have them purified. uh, Apparently some type of ritual purification. And then he would offer a sacrifice for sins they might have committed. Uh, Job would say, perhaps my sin have sinned. My children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. And it is important to note, and I mentioned this last week, that this was his custom. It wasn't a one-time thing. This is how Job lived his life. And is it not a quality of integrity that one does it over the long haul and not simply once in a while? When we have done reading the first five verses of Job 1, we have read about an extraordinary human being, one who lived a blameless life before God who enjoyed great blessings? Whose concern for a right relationship to God was not simply for himself, but for his family as well? And this sets the earthly side of the stage for the story that will now continue uh, in verse number verses six through twelve. And now we see the other side. Uh, would you follow along as I read, please? One day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. The Lord said to Satan, Where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord from roaming through the earth and going back and forth in it. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Does, God fear, uh, does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied, have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hand so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But stretch out your hand and strike everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, Very well then, everything he has is in your hands. But on the man himself do not lay a finger. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. This portion of the story raises a whole host of problems and questions for people. What is Satan doing in heaven? Is God sort of taking a bet on Job, on his people? Is God a participant in human suffering? I think it is best, the best approach we can have is not to try to answer these questions now. But to get on with the story and the purpose of the story and then the questions I think will have a larger context. I'm not sure that they will be answered but then they will be seen in their proper context. I think when you look at the first 12 verses of Job chapter 1, we are told about the character first of Job, which we saw last week, and then we are told about the character of God, and then we are told about the character of Satan. And so the passage we look at today focuses primarily on God and on Satan and there's some things I want you to look at as we go through this first of all understand that there is a dimension of reality beyond our ability to see as one writer put it there are more things in heaven and earth than are dreamed of in many philosophies we are not told the name of this place or its location we are told in verse number 12 that Satan went out from the presence of the Lord I would assume that this is heaven, which represents that part of God's creation, because heaven is created. Uh, It is his dwelling place. It is the location of his heavenly court. Um, Again, we're not told where this is. It is enough for us to know that there is a dimension to reality that we cannot see, that we cannot perceive. It is another realm, another place where actions take place that affect us here on earth. The question has been asked, did Job know about this? Probably not, and uh, I don't think it was ever explained to him, at least not within the context of this book. But Job knew that there was a dimension beyond what one could perceive or one could see. And this comes out in what we looked at last week. He's concerned about his children because perhaps they have cursed God in their hearts. Well, if they've cursed God in their hearts, who would know? That's something I certainly cannot perceive. It's not something Job would know. That's why he says perhaps he doesn't know. But God knows because there is or there are other dimensions to reality that we cannot perceive. And that's why people say, well, I can only I will only believe in the things I can see or touch or that my senses can perceive have really missed out because there is much, much more to God's created reality. I think it is of critical importance for us to argue that Job did not know about this part of the story. He is completely unaware of this dimension to his sufferings. All he knows is the suffering part. He doesn't know what's going on in the presence of God. Then look at the scene as it's presented in heaven. The time is indefinite, simply put, as one day. Those involved are called angels in the NIV, Uh, the King James has them, the sons of God, and also in the NIV footnote. These are beings that were created by God to be his servants. And on this day, this indefinite day, we're not told when, they came to present themselves before God. The implication is to give an accounting for what they have done and to receive new assignments of the things that God would have them to do. And among these sons of God is someone named Satan, whose name means the accuser. Again, the NIV has it as a footnote. Should we consider him as a son of God? Is he an angel, a servant of God? Was he a participant or was he merely an intruder? I won't be dogmatic on this, but I do see him as an intruder because we are told um, Satan also came with them. That is, he didn't belong there, but he came anyway. He also came with the sons of God. There are those who would disagree and and argue that Satan is there also to give an accounting of his activities. In either case, we can agree, I think, on three points. First of all, Satan is a created being. He does not have existence. He does not have power. He can do nothing apart from God, the creator. If he is not a son of God at this point in human history, as the story is being told, there was a time when he was, and he rebelled against God, and he was cast out of heaven. But he was created by God. Secondly, like it or not, Satan serves God's purposes, and he must work within certain limits. Uh, He does not have the authority to do whatever he wants. Uh, He is under God's control, (coughs) and we will see more about this in a bit. Thirdly, and perhaps most importantly, the scene that, as it is presented here is one of an open forum. This is not some secret conspiracy that God and Satan hatch up in the, in, to the side. <coughs> I think I'm going to need some water. Yeah. <coughs> All of a sudden we've got a cough here today. <coughs> the plan was not hatched in some secret meeting. It was decided openly before the heavenly assembly. And God's motivation was based on his complete confidence in Job. God's motivation is completely and fully known. It is above question. It is done in the presence of his servants, his created beings. And this is important because as we go through the book of Job, I think the author has a difficult job to do. He wants to present Job as innocent, but also to not present God as demonic. And that's hard because how can they both be above reproach and yet Job be suffering all of these terrible things? The character of God. I think it is important as we go through this book together to understand that God is sovereign. God is in control. He is the ruler of all creation. He presides over the council of the sons of God. And even Satan is one of his creations. This is not a dualistic view of reality as we find in other views. We do not have two equally strong forces, one good and one evil, who are fighting it out. God rules. God governs the universe. And there the sons of God present themselves to give an accounting for their designated roles. They are watchers, they are protectors, they are God's ministers to watch over his creation. God did not simply create the world and then sort of let it run down till it's all used up. He pays infinite attention to his universe and he guarantees its moral order. And part of the way that he does that is through these sons of God. But although God is the creator and the governor of the universe, he is open to challenge. His creatures are given the freedom to raise questions and even to rebel. And certainly Satan did. He was once one of God's archangels, and then he rebelled against God. And I think this is seen in God's character in this particular story. Um, Here the sons of God come to give an accounting, and here Satan appears also. And God calls him to account. He doesn't cast him out and say, hey, you don't belong here. This is for the good guys. You need to be out of here. Rather, he asks him, where have you been? Where have you come from? And immediately, I don't know about you, but when I was preparing for this, immediately when I read this, I thought of the story of Adam and Eve. When they committed sin, they sinned against God. And then they covered up their nakedness. And when they heard the voice of God, they hid themselves from God. And God said, where are you? Did God not know where Adam and Eve were? Of course he did. Does God not know where Satan has been? He does. But he gives him the opportunity to speak and to confess and to admit what he has done. He knows where Satan has been but he wants to know if Satan has learned anything in all his wanderings around. Has he seen has he learned what he needs to learn? We'll come more. We'll come back to the character of God a bit more but now the character of Satan let me just tell you parenthetically if you've read anything of Christian literature since 1990 it's something that I've Just noticed in my reading that oftentimes you will find Satan not referred to as Satan, but as the Satan with the proper or with the the article ahead of it uh, as the Satan. Satan means accuser, and it is not simply his name in the Old Testament. It is a title. It points to his activities. So he is the accuser. He is the Satan. Okay. He's the one who accuses, who makes the case for the prosecution. He is the secret police. He is the opposition. He is against God's people. But more on this in a minute. We are given some insight, even though indirectly, into the character of this Satan. First, by his intrusion into the heavenly council, and I'm assuming that he's intruding. Secondly, by his report of his activities. In response to the question, where have you come from? He says, from roaming through the earth and going back and forth in it. In the Old Testament, such a confession, such a statement, is the confession of a vagabond, of a wanderer. And wandering is the curse that was put on Cain. God put a mark on Cain that he would be a wanderer. And so we see Satan pacing the earth with the frustration of a caged lion. He is a restless, rebellious, unrepentant spirit. Just going back and forth, back and forth. He epitomizes the nature of evil. He is alienated from God. He is aimless in his activities, if you wish, in some nature. And there is great anxiety. From the New Testament Testament perspective, This wandering has a purpose. It has a purpose of seeking to devour uh, whom he may. It seems that Satan wanders the earth looking for disloyalty among God's people. And he appears to delight in this. This is what he loves to do. But again, in the Old Testament, as he is presented as the Satan, he is the wanderer. He is the one who just goes back and forth. He has the curse of Cain upon him. That's why, by the way, when we when we read about Israel being in the wilderness 40 years and wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, that's not a good thing. That is not a good thing. God's people, God's creation is to have purpose. The picture we have of Satan in scripture is one who is totally committed to the downfall of God's people. And if we doubt that, then this story continues and it gives us more insight into that character. As God began the conversation with a question, he continues with a second question. Have you considered my servant Job? We should remember it is God who brings Job uh, to Satan's attention. And he points out that Job is his servant. We saw this last week. This is no small thing to be known as a servant of God. That Job is a man of integrity and God echoes the words we read in the first verse. That he is blameless and upright A man who fears God and shuns evil. And we should understand what God is doing here. He is not challenging Satan. This is not a wager that God somehow is entering into with Satan. Rather, God delights in his creation. He delights in his creatures. He hasn't given up on the world. Satan has done his worst to destroy God's creation. But God has not given up. Even though he may have only one person... This one person may be an example to Job and he says list or to Satan. Satan, you've been wandering around. Have you considered this man, Job? And though we know Satan is unrepentant. Uh, it is a wonderful opportunity that God presents for him to learn from Job's example and to turn from his wickedness. But now Satan's character is fleshed out a bit more as he taunts God, does God. Job, fear God for nothing. Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? Satan, who wanders back and forth, hunting out wrongdoing, has ended up becoming a very cynical person, a very cynical creature. And Cynicism, by the way, is incredibly destructive. It is corrosive to the spirit. And on the one hand, we have the character of God that delights in his creation delights to say, Have you considered this wonderful man, this creature, Job? And Satan, whose character is the opposite of God, is one filled with venom and with cynicism. And the cynic thinks he knows why everything happens, and Satan is convinced he knows why Job worships God and fears him. By the way, this question does Job fear God for nothing is one of the central issues of this book. Satan answers no. Job fears God because God takes care of him. Because God has provided everything that he has. Satan knows nothing of the intrinsic value of righteousness that comes from a heart that has genuine love in it. For him, every human act can be explained by a selfish motive. Every human act arises from selfishness. And so he says, take away the prosperity, take away everything he has, and not only will Job's righteousness disappear, but it will turn into bitterness and cursing, and he will curse God. Just a side note here. Psychologists have distinguished between the extrinsic religion and intrinsic religion. Religion is said to be extrinsic, that is, outside of ourselves, if it is used for some other purpose. That is, people do religious things because they want to get something out of it, either for social status. And I remember uh, years ago being in college in Missouri and finding out that my professor in in history, whom I didn't care much for, uh, was, I think, a deacon in his church. But he was also an atheist. How can this be? and the answer came back that it was for social status. That's extrinsic religion. Some people embrace religion as a coping mechanism. They're going through difficult times and they want something to hang on to. That's extrinsic religion. Intrinsic religion means that a person does not use their religion. They live their religion. They live their faith. It can be expressed this way. For some people, their faith in God serves as a means to some other end. They want to get something else. Whereas for others, God is seen as an end in himself. And this raises, I think, for us an incredibly important question as we go through the book of Job. Why do we serve God? Why do we worship God? Is it simply for what we can get out of it? It is worth noting that Satan not only questions Job's character, he questions God's as well. He attacks Job's righteousness as false. Jo- Job only worships you because of what you give him. But he also attacks God's integrity. You know, you're, Here you are delighting in Job, but you've set the stage. Of course he's going to delight in you. you, know, you you've rigged the game. Of course Job is going to delight in you. Because you've put this hedge around him and everything he has. God, you're a cheat. You have no integrity. You want me to look at this man, but you've rigged the game. And we shouldn't be surprised that one who is cynical as Satan is would claim to understand the motivation of everything that is done. And so he not only questions Job's motivation, but God's integrity as well. And so the challenge is given. Insolence, I think, is added to the cynicism as he states... But stretch out your hand and strike everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. One writer has argued that the use of you and your your, are words used to address an equal at best or an inferior at worst. Satan suddenly has become puffed up. Are we surprised? He has intruded into God's presence, and now he is questioning God's integrity. And now he's talking to God as though God were his equal. Like a rebellious son who attacks a faithful father, Satan has no respect for authority. He has no recognition of love. To the question, does Job fear God for nothing? God answers, yes. Job's service to God is intrinsic. And because of this, Satan is given permission to try Job out. But there are boundaries. Again, this is not a dualism. This is not God and Satan duking it out. Satan is created by God. He has the freedom to rebel, but he is under God's authority. Again, sort of a side note. Much in popular Christian thinking today, I think operates within the idea of a dualism in which the whole of life is understood in terms of a battle between God and Satan, or between the Holy Spirit and the demonic. As though these are equal powers that are duking it out, and we're stuck in between. So that when Satan goes to land a blow at God, we're there and we get hurt, because Satan is actually trying to get at God, and we're in the way. I'm not denying the reality of spiritual warfare. Satan and his angels are, in fact, fighting against God's creation and God's creatures. But it is not a fight between equals. There's not an equal and opposite force of evil against the goodness of God. God is always in control, and Satan is always an adversary on a chain. Satan is always under God's authority and God's control. Because realize that only a God who has complete control can say to Satan, everything he has is in your hands. If God is not in complete control, what gives him the right to say to Satan, everything he has is in your hands, but on the man himself do not lay a finger. Only the one who is in absolute control of this universe can give that power to someone else. And so Satan leaves the presence of God to do his worst in the life of God's servant, Job. But it raises really difficult questions. And among them, is God responsible for human suffering? In the weeks to come, we will see that this is a non-issue for Job and his friends. They will not debate whether or not God is the originator of Job's misery. They will assume that God is. That's not an issue for them. For us, that's the big problem. That's the big tension. For them, they accept that God is the source of these things. They will argue over why God has done this to Job. They will not argue whether or not he has they accept that, they will argue over why he has done this. And it just shows that I think the book of Job, in every given age, in every culture, the issues are different, but the questions remain. The questions may be different, but the questions remain. Let me wrap this up today. I think it is natural in our reading of the book of Job to question the character of God. Instead of questioning that of Satan, and perhaps that of our own faith. As I said in these first 12 verses, the three major players are revealed for who they are. Job is a man of integrity. God is a God who delights in his creation. And Satan is a cynic who wanders, who seeks to do all the damage that he can. Who cannot see beauty in anything. was it? Uh, Oscar Wilde who said that a cynic is someone who knows the price of everything and the value of nothing. Satan knows the price of everything, but he cannot see the value. For him, Job only does this because he's got an easy life. Satan here, I think, is shown for who he truly is. One who seeks to destroy as his cynicism eats away at him, cannot appreciate the beauty of God's creation. And so rather than seeing a man of integrity and a man of wealth, he sees a man whom God has protected for his own selfish reasons, a man who will serve God only as long as life is good. But I would insist that Satan's cynicism is not rooted in nothing. I know that's a double negative, but there is a basis, I think, on some level for Satan's cynicism. Indeed, religion in the modern age has been described as the opiate of the masses. And this has some basis in reality, extrinsic religion, where religion is embraced for what one can get out of it. Some do serve, some do worship for what they can get out of it. And when it no longer serves their purposes, religion, devotion, ritual, whatever, is conveniently set aside. It served its purpose, we no longer need it. I fear that many people as they read the book of Job particularly this first part want to point the finger at God so that they don't have to think about their own shortcomings so that we don't have to ask ourselves the question if God were to say to Satan have you considered my servant Damon Woods and Satan says well that's because you've watched out for him take away what he has I think we are terrified at that prospect. That we might have to face the fact that oftentimes our faith in God is utilitarian. We want to get something out of it. At the same time, I must confess that I do not understand God's actions here. I do not understand why. God would allow Job to be exposed to such misery. I do not understand it. But I am reminded that while the God of the book of Job is sovereign, he is not so distant that he does not govern. He is not so powerful that he does not allow freedom. He is not so independent that he does not care. Quite to the contrary, God's character is revealed here in these first twelve verses as one who delights in his creation. And may we take that to heart. Let's pray together. Our Father, I think that if we would be honest with ourselves much of the Christian faith that we have embraced we have embraced because it makes sense to us because we understand it we get it or we think we do and in that sense our faith has become almost extrinsic we have embraced something that we are comfortable with something that we can get Our minds around, something that we can grab onto. The reality is, we worship a God who is so far beyond our ability to understand that when we are confronted by some of your actions, we are deeply uncomfortable. We don't understand. But as we go through the book of Job together may we come to see that you are in control you do govern the universe and you love your people you love your creation and there's some things that are just not for us tonight may we be like Job blameless and upright may we fear you and avoid that which is evil and may we trust that everything you do in our lives is for a purpose a purpose we may not know a purpose we may never know one we may never understand but you do know and this is your world and we are your creatures thank you for your presence with us this past week as we have dealt with things we do not understand but we commit our lives into your hands as into the hands of one who delights in us and who loves us and now as we leave this place may your grace and your spirit go with us